Uh, if you brought your Bibles, uh, you can open them up to uh, Paul's letter to the Romans. We started this teaching, new teaching series uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we, uh, uh, if you want to follow along with us, we have reading guides uh, on our website and outside. I, I encourage, encourage, encourage you to pick up one of our reading guides. It'll, it'll keep you on pace for where our teaching is at each and every week. Um, we call uh, this series on uh, Paul's letter to Rome. Paul is uh, writing to Rome. He hasn't been to Rome yet, and he's writing to... Uh, uh, I, I know you guys have never heard of this ever happening, but there are groups of Christians in Rome that are arguing between each other about what it means to be a Christian and how to be a Christian the right way. I know that never happens, uh, but Paul is writing this letter to these Christians in Rome, and, and the question is, how do we live this thing out? Like, like how, does, how does this whole Christian idea work, and, and there are Jewish Christians that are, are still a little bit more Jewish than they are Christian, and there are Gentile Christians, which just means they're, they're not Jewish, and, and they've come to faith, but they don't, they don't have any idea about the, the Jewish law or customs or the Torah or what any of this means, and so Paul has this in, enormous task in front of him of, of how does he write a letter to a group of strangers that tells them the essential gospel. Some have even called uh, Paul's letter to the Romans the purest gospel. Martin Luther in all of his great work and uh, 95 Theses looked at, look at looked at Romans as kind of his blueprint for faith and how do we do this and how do we live this out. And so we've been digging deeply into Paul's letter to Rome. A couple of weeks ago, um, we, uh, we began this series by, by kind of uh, um, looking at the situation we find ourselves in. At the end of chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2 of Paul's letter to the Romans, uh, uh, we did a teaching. It, it, it was called uh, The Heart, The Hammer, and The Whole Kit and Caboodle. And if you remember, uh, if you, even if you want to look back a couple of pages uh, in uh, the end of chapter 1 and beginning of chapter 2, things get pretty rough. It says uh, in verse 28, it says, since they thought it foolish, uh, verse 28 of chapter, uh, chapter 1, it says, Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that should never be done. Paul says, all right, there is this great truth of God, and this truth of God exists in every heart. In every heart, there is this truth, but we come to these places where we try to suppress the truth of God. We, we claim wisdom, but really make ourselves foolish because we don't acknowledge, we hold the truth of God in, in a tight corner, and we try to do things on our own. And it says when, when we do that, uh, it, it, it's foolish to, to hide that truth. And when we hide that truth, it says that God abandons us to our foolish thinking. And this is not the, hey, good riddance to go try to figure it out on your own. No, this word abandon is, is the difficult parent letting a child make the decisions that the parent would beg and plead for them to make a different choice. God begrudgingly gives us over to our desires 
And that's when things go really, what's the, do you remember the word I used? I use it all the time, sideways. You ever been sideways? Um, you can make a car go sideways, right? You can, right? Have, you, have, any, have any of you ever seen this happen? Like you can make a car go sideways. Uh, but it's not a good idea, right? <laughs> Most of the time when it happens, it means things are out of control. And that's exactly what happens when we suppress the truth of God. Our lives get sideways. Our values, our relationships get turned upside down. In verse 29 of that same chapter, chapter 1, he says, God begrudgingly gives us away to our desires. We try to do it all on our own. It says their lives became full of every kind of wickedness and sin and greed and hate and envy and murder and quarreling and deception and malicious behavior and gossip. And it goes on to say the really, really bad one is, and they disobey their parents sideways. And Paul goes on, I said, remember he's writing to Christians And Paul goes on to say, look, I know you think I'm talking about somebody else, but the truth is I'm talking to you. In uh, in chapter 2, verse 1, go ahead and put that back up there. It says, you may think you can condemn such people. You may think I'm writing to somebody else, but you are just as bad and you have no excuse. When you say they are wicked and should be punished, you're condemning who? Yeah, I said, we're, we're all in this together. For you who judge others, do these very same things. And, and Paul kind of begins his letter by saying, hey, we are all in this predicament together. <laughs> Have you ever found yourself in a situation? Like, how did we find ourselves in this place where God has begrudgingly given us over to our desires? Our lives have become incredibly sideways. He says, here we are in this spot found ourselves in this difficult place. And if you go on, uh, last week Graham taught for me, and, and Graham's teaching was all about, okay, so if we find ourselves in this difficult place, how does God respond? And if you look carefully in uh, Romans chapter 3, verse 23 and 24, if Romans is the purest gospel, these two verses are the purest Romans. Like, like the whole core of the idea is right here, packed into this. It says... For everyone has sinned. You need to stop and just hold on to that for a second. Paul, writing to a group of Christians, says, hey, you need to, the starting place is to know that this situation, this predicament, this sidewaysness happens to all of us. To every one of us together. And we all fall short of God's glorious standard. So here we are in this predicament, and yet God does what? Look at this next verse, verse 24. Yet God, you should underline that and highlight it and embold that. Yet God freely and graciously declares that we are righteous, and he did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. So we created this predicament that we're in, and yet God has created a way for us to bring our lives back to him, to to move from sideways to being right or righteous. We have pulled away from God. We are the ones who abandoned him, and yet God graciously and freely made a way for us to return 
back to him. This is the situation we find ourselves in. Here has how, how God has responded by providing his own son, Jesus Christ. So now what? Let's pick it up in uh, chapter 3, verses 27 through 31. Can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? What's the answer? No. Because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It is based on, what's that word? Say it again. It's based on. So we are made right with God through and not by works or obeying the law. Let's keep going. After all, is God the God of the Jews only? Isn't he also the God of the Gentiles? Of course he is. Look, keep going. There is only one God. All right, so for Jewish ears, for Jewish Christians, this phrase would have sounded very similar because it is a part of a prayer. They say every single day. It's the first words out of their lips when they wake up in the morning. It's the first prayer they teach their kids to pray. And it's the last words that pass their lips before they go to sleep at night. It is called the Shema. Isn't that a fun word? The Shema means listen or hear. And it begins like this. You might have heard it. Shema, O Israel, the Lord thy God, the Lord is one. Remember this predicament that we find ourselves in. Is anyone excluded from it? No, everyone has sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. This is where we find ourselves. And Paul does this incredible thing. He uses this ancient Jewish prayer that began each and began and ended each and every day to say, all right, so for all of these people in this predicament, guess what? There is one God. Why is that important? So is there a God for the Jews and a God for everyone else? Maybe they felt that way, right? Maybe, maybe even uh, Christians today act like that. Like, right, like, hey, he's, this is my God. This is my Savior. But what's the reality? He's the Savior of us all. There is one God. As we are all under the same power of sin, there is one God over all of us who can free us from that power of sin. Let's keep going. goes on to say, well then, if we emphasize faith, does this mean that we can forget about the law? Of course not. In fact, only when we have faith do we truly fulfill the law. Um, so he begins to talk a lot about faith. Here's the predicament all of us find ourselves in. There's one God over all of us who has now made a way for us to be right with God again. So how do we respond? How are we to respond to what God has done? And the answer is faith. All of his talk about the law is this, this idea that if I did all of the things right, 
If I go to church every Sunday and I tithe 10% and I uh, don't wear a t-shirt while I'm preaching, I always wear a tie. Um, if, if, I never, if I never say curse words and if I read my Bible every night before I go to bed, if I do all of these things right, then, then I'm in and I get God's favor. The Jews would have taken it even a step further. Well, because we are sons and daughters of Abraham, right? Because we are born into the family line of faith. We, man, we, we are in. We are good. Sorry for everybody else who's born to somebody else. And Paul's going to challenge this idea of kind of this, this almost works-based idea and say, hey, what's really essential is faith. But faith is a difficult thing to talk about or a difficult thing to express. So Paul is going to give us an example. Okay, so what's important for us is, is to have faith in God. So how do we do that and what does that look like? Paul says, let me give you an example. And if you read further on in chapter 4, we'll, we'll bounce around a little bit. But Paul says, well, why don't you think about Abraham? What do you guys know about Abraham? So for us, the, the name Abraham is maybe like this bearded guy in the Old Testament somewhere. But for Jewish Christians, Abraham would have been like, that's George Washington or, or Abraham Lincoln. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like the, the grandfatherly guy of, that is the source of all wisdom and knowledge in the universe. I almost want to say, like, for you Lord of the Rings guy, Abraham is like Gandalf. Like, you know, like, he's, he's this high up and this, this much respected. And so Paul wants to give us an example of, okay, well, what does faith look like? And he uses the most, like, profoundly, like, uh, profound character in a Jewish heart and a Jewish mind. Uh, he uses the character that every single Jewish person would have known and wanted to emulate and wanted to be just like. He uses Abraham as an example of faith, as, and Abraham is the father of the Jewish nation. So just to summarize a, a little bit of Abraham's life, Abraham is, uh, God appears to Abraham and says, hey, Abraham, I've got new country I want you to go and take. Go ahead and pack everything up. Head out into this new country. There, there's new land. There's new soil for you. And in fact, you are going to be the father of nations, of, of many, many, many people. In fact, the number of nations and people you're going to be the father of are going to be like the stars in the sky. You know how old Abraham was when God told him this? God told Abraham to pack everything up, head out, start all over, start a new life, start a, a, new, a new community, a new, uh, a new nation. Abraham was 75. Think about this. Abraham's faith journey started when he was 75. So some of you are sitting back there thinking, my Christian life, I'm kind of retired, I'm just coasting. Nope. There's more for you still. And it goes on. So Abraham and his wife Sarah, they head out to this new country, to this new land. And God shows up to Abraham and his wife Sarah and says, hey, surprise, you're going to have a child. Uh, and their response was, 
laughter. They laughed. Abraham laughed. And so does, and so does Sarah. And uh, they actually name, when they, when they have a child, uh, Abraham is 100 years old and Sarah is 90. You'd laugh too, I think. If cry or laugh. I don't know. Something, something would happen. Something would happen. Um, it'd be in the newspaper at the very least. And they name their son Laughter. That's his name, Isaac. It means he laughed. And Isaac will begin this family line, and uh, because of him, all nations will be blessed. Um, so when Paul is writing about, hey, this thing is really not about works, this thing is about faith, he says, really the way you should think about this is to think about Abraham. Look what he says in chapter 4, verses 18 through 21. He puts it this way. Even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept, what's the word? Hoping. Believing that he would become the father of many nations, for God had said to him, this is how many descendants you will have. Keep going. And Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though at about 100 years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead, and so was Sarah's womb. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger. In this, he brought glory to God. And finally, verse 21, he was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. So, if you are thinking about a definition of faith, this might be a good one. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. So we find ourselves in a situation. God has made us, uh, but yet God has made a way for us to be right. And now our response to that is faith. But what is faith? Being fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. Well, what are the promises of God? Do you know them? Better yet, do you believe them? Abraham isn't counted righteous by God because he did everything right. Abraham is counted righteous by God because he believed the promises of God before they came. So, I know these are big questions, and if I sent you away to groups right now and said, okay, just tell it, talk about what are the promises of God, maybe you would come up with a bunch. Maybe you would have some general promises, or maybe you'd have some specific promises that, that God has put into you or poured into you or that, or that you believe. Um, maybe you could talk about their promises of God that we have a hard time believing. But I wanted to give you two promises of God. And I, and I could speak a long time about this, but I just wanted to give you two promises to, to take with you today as we think about Abraham, as we think about becoming in a right relationship with God again, of living in faith. Um, I get to go to hospitals all the time and, uh, and visit people. Some of, some of you have visited in, in hospitals. Um, that's an interesting thing. 
Some people are afraid of hospitals. Um, I'm afraid of getting lost in a hospital. I think that's my biggest fear. Um, it's an interesting thing to be in a hospital with, with people who are, are sick or hurting, uh, to be around people who uh, uh, may even be, be facing death. Got to spend time in those places. And in the hospital room, I think about um, always in, in kind of in my pocket with me are, are two, two words, two promises of God that I, that I always want to bring with me. And maybe there'll be a benefit to you. The, the first is uh, um, whatever you're facing, it's temporary. Think about it. Um, time is the only thing in our world that's constant, but it's the, it's the thing that feels like it changes all the time, right? Like I was just on vacation at the beach last week and it felt like it went way too fast, right? Time never changed, but it felt like it went way too fast. But when you're in a hospital or when thing, you're hurting or, or you've had an injury or you're facing some enormous challenge, it, doesn't it feel like time slows down and this thing is going to last forever, right? When things are difficult, doesn't it seem like there's never going to be an end to this? And so there's a great comfort to just share with people, hey, whatever you're facing, whatever it is, good or bad, it's temporary, right? And there's a promise that goes with that, is that no matter what you're facing, God is with you. How many gods are there? And the God of the universe is with you, even Jesus' very last words. You remember what he said? Remember, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The promise of God, one of them, is that God is near. close. Um, Close as we'll let him be, maybe. Close enough to hear our cries. We see that in scripture again and again and again, right? That God isn't um, somehow occupied with other stuff somewhere else. But God is near, even in this moment. Do you believe it? His promise is that he will never leave you or forsake you. How does believing that promise, being fully convinced that God is 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 present, that he will keep his word, word about being with us, near to us. How does being fully convinced of that change your day? Change your attitude, change the way you drive, change the way you look at relationships or those around you? Do you have faith that God is near? Do you believe it? Um, 
I know a lot of us uh, struggle with stress and worry and fear. Uh, anxiety is a word that comes up a lot lately. You guys know this word? The, um, the anxiety that, that keeps you up at night, tossing and turning. How would being fully convinced that God is near to you even when you're wrestling with this thing in bed, how would that affect your anxiety? Think it could bring you some peace? Yeah, I think so. So I love this idea, this promise of God that that he isn't somehow occupied with other things that are more important, that, but, but you are important to him and worth his time and worth his presence. Another promise I would send you away with and, and the second promise is that this God who is near, who is not far away, that, that his will and his desire for you is good. Maybe you need to hear that again. That the great God of the universe, the one God, is not somewhere else occupied with other things, but he is near to you, and that his greatest wish, his greatest will, his greatest desire for you is good. Can you let yourself think about it? In the beginning, if you turn all the way back to the very first pages of your Bible, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and he made uh, aardvarks and uh, Snuffleupagus and like he made everything right you know the the water and the sea and the jellyfish and the sharks and the dolphins and the uh, he, he made the predators and he made hockey and you know he made all of this right like God made all of it and after he had made everything even after he had made man and woman he looked at everything he had made and he named it what good Even your design. Some of you, man, man, I know some of you struggle with, with, with self-doubt or body image questions. You need to know that when God created you, he created good. Can you believe that? If you fast forward even a little bit further into the New Testament... An angel appears, a, a host of angels appears in, uh, above some shepherds in a field. And do you remember what he says? I bring you good news of great joy for all people. I get to share with you a message that is fundamentally good. Even in Romans, Paul begins in the very first chapter. If you back up and go online and listen to the very first teaching in this series, Paul says, man, I am chosen by God to bring you good news. And in Romans, that good news is capitalized. Remember that because it is a person. The good news of Jesus Christ good news of great joy to all people. The good news is Jesus Christ promised long ago and you are included. 
You remember what I said? We're all in this predicament together, and yet God, out of his great love for us, sent his good news to us, into us, for us. What does it mean to have faith? What does it mean to believe the promises of God? Maybe start with these two. Hey, God is near, and his will for you, his intention for you is good. That doesn't mean every day is going to be sunshine and rainbows. Can we agree with that? But that his desire as a good father is for us to have good. His will for us is good. I want to wrap up just with a, with a few thoughts. In verse 16 of chapter 4, I, I love what he says. So the promise... I would say the promises of God are received by what? Faith is taking God at his word that what he says he will do, he will actually do. So we receive the promises of God by believing what he says he will do, he will do. So the promise is received by faith. It is given as a free gift. Is there anything that you can do or have done to earn what God has for you? No. It's a free gift. And we are all certain to receive it whether or not we live according to the law of Moses if we have faith like who? (laughs) 75-year-old man who started over a 90-year-old woman who gave birth. And then he says something really, uh, really amazing. So Abraham is the father of what nation? Yeah, the Jewish nation, right? Like that's what we would say. They would have claimed him as their own. But Paul takes it a whole, to a whole new level and says, okay, so uh, Abraham isn't just the father of those in the Jewish nation who followed the genealogy of Isaac. He says, Abraham is the father of all who, what? Believe. Because Abraham believed God, it was counted to him as righteousness. And the life and the blessing that came to Abraham through faith is available to you and me also. Are you with me? We receive the life. Abraham believed in the life-giving promise of God, and so should we. Amen? So I'm going to dismiss you in just a moment to a time of communion. We have uh, tables set up around the room. Um, they're tables of remembrance. And maybe today, you just maybe as you take these elements, the, the cup rep- represents Christ's blood sacrifice for us and the bread just as a symbol of his body broken for us. As you take these elements, maybe, uh, maybe just turn to a person next to you and share the promise of God that, that you need to be reminded of today. Because we are people of the promise. 
And we need to remind each other to live into the promises of God, to experience the life that comes from believing him, from trusting him, of being fully convinced that what God says he will do, he will do. And the way for all of this to happen is through Jesus Christ. So as you enter into this time of communion, may your faith be strengthened. May you once again trust the promises of God. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you so much for your word. Thank you for, uh, uh, for Abraham for Abraham and Sarah. God, I know they laughed, but uh, they knew you were going to follow through. Father God, give us that kind of faith to trust you with our future, to, to trust you, uh, to, to believe your promises of your promise of forgiveness, your promise to, to make us righteous, your, your promise to pay our debt for sin, the, the promise to accept us back through the blood of your son, Jesus Christ. Father God, let us again live into your promises. Father God, we, we struggle with, with self-doubt and fear and anxiety. And, and God, you've called us to be people of faith, people of the promise. God, I, I pray for this church. I pray that the, that the character of, of our church together wouldn't be a character of people just trying to do all the right things, but, but people who are living into your promise. God, help us now in this room, I believe even in this space right now, people need to know that you are with them, beside them, near. I know there are people in this space that that are hurting and have struggles. And so God, remind them of your presence. Remind them that your will and desire for them is ultimately good, whether that means uh, a heavenly home sometime, somewhere else down the road, or just experiencing your joy and peace now, even in this place. Father God, Help us to be like Abraham. Help us to be people of faith. Help us to know your promises and live into them and experience the life that they bring. We love you, Father, and in your son Jesus' name, everyone together says, amen.